Welcome to the Brave New Normal podcast. My name is Alexander Cole. I'm your host, and I'm coming to you from Los Angeles, California. It's June 2nd, 2020, and we have a lot of uh, very interesting and timely things to discuss today on the podcast. So I want to jump right in and start talking about my experience that I had today at the Black Lives Matter protest uh, in in Los Angeles, California, and specifically the one I went to uh, was in Hollywood. I live about 10 minutes away. I used to actually live in the neighborhood, so I decided, you know, having sat out the last six days, that um, today was the day I was going to go down there and show my support and check out the scene and see what was going on, see what it was like on the ground and what the energy is like and who the people were and just to show support. Uh, so I made my way over, um, and I got there about three forty-five. I parked in my old neighborhood and walked, uh, walked down to try to find the group of protesters that were, amassing at the intersection on Sunset and Vine. And I couldn't initially get there uh, in the most direct route so uh, because the police had blocked off the southbound traffic on Vine. And I had to go kind of the long way, so I went farther down into Hollywood, down on Hollywood Boulevard. And on my way down there, I um, walked by numerous shops that had been looted. Um, there were broken windows and people still going in and out of these businesses um, with pretty much impunity. And I went down a side street to uh, make my way southbound and found myself um, alone and uh, encountered a a group of looters going into what looked like was a nightclub that they had pried the door open and were um, going in and out of it. And so that was pretty sketchy. And I, that was pretty much one of the only times I was the second time, the first time that I was uncomfortable, one of two times that I was actually uncomfortable the entire day. Um, you know, so just going by those guys and I, I had a couple of cameras on me. Um, they were in a camera bag and, uh, there were, you know, that was definitely not the moment that I was trying to capture. Um, I have a friend of mine who caught himself in a bit of the crossfire between looters and police and, um, was jumped and beaten up for his camera. And, uh, so I definitely did not want to find myself in that kind of scenario. So I quickly walked away from the looting scene and made my way to the, um, the actual mass of protesters that had gathered at Sunset and Vine. And when I arrived, um, I arrived at a moment where police officers from the LAPD had come into the protester crowd and uh, everybody s- sort of was holding um, 
they were, you know, had their arms around each other. And this is during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, you know, these police officers were not wearing face masks. Um, some of the protesters were a majority of the protesters were, I want to say were not wearing face masks. Uh, I, on the other hand, however, was wearing one. Um, and so I, I was there for this moment where a few of the, the LAPD officers were, um, mingling with the protesters and it was actually just very, you know, peaceful scene is, I guess, one of the words that people are using to describe, um, there, there looked like there was a mutual understanding and then, uh, you know, what, what protesters did at that point in time with the police officers was take a moment of silence for George Floyd and, uh, and then, um, after about, I'd say 30 seconds of that, everyone cheered, the police officers walked away and, um, some protest organizers, uh, showed up and took out their bullhorns and started, uh, basically, you know, yelling their slogans and the slogans are, you know, I can't breathe. And then the, the whole crowd would respond with an, I can't breathe. And so we have the slogans and, and the bullhorn going, and there's kind of these moments that are happening, uh, that I found myself to be in the middle of and, uh, snapped a few photographs, um, was really up close and personal. And, um, you know, there was a moment where a white protester and a black protester were hugging and they were crying and there was this, you know, sort of beautiful organic moments happening, uh, where, and, and we're talking, most of these people down here are young in their twenties, um, early twenties, early to mid twenties. And, uh, everything seemed to be in a strange way. It was very calm. Uh, and just beyond where the protesters had a mass, you had a line of, um, national guardsmen and the national guardsmen are carrying, uh, assault rifles and they are loaded with, uh, lethal rounds. So that was pretty interesting. I, I approached their line just to kind of feel it out and took a few pictures of the national guardsmen. And that was pretty interesting. Um, it's, it's almost like they're in this weird mode where they're sort of robotic and they look back at everybody. They're not really trained to react and, Nobody was throwing anything at them. Nobody was yelling at them. However, at some point there were protesters that were talking to the police and saying things like fuck the cops and fuck one, fuck 12 and, you know, uh, some slurs and some, but for the most part, things were pretty, pretty peaceful and pretty low key. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we, we, I say I was by myself 
at this protest and um i was more there just to kind of observe and get a sense of the overall energy of the people there and my this is totally my interpretation and my take on um the overall vibe but it seemed like there were there were some people that were really uh i mean i you know i guess there there were a lot of motivations for people to be there um however one thing that really struck me was the amount of uh people on their cell phones and the amount of cameras and the amount of um basically people just literally living the moments through their screen uh i I mean i want to say the majority of people are participating through taking pictures on their phone live streaming um taking selfies there were lots and lots of selfies happening lots of pictures lots of content and this is Los Angeles, obviously, and it was Hollywood, California. I mean, you're seeing bloggers, you're seeing all kinds of uh, people down there that are, you know, just plucking, plucking content, plucking the moment, uh, milking the moment for as much content as they can get for their YouTube page or their podcast or whatever. And it's just very strange to be a part of, to be a part of that. I mean, it, it feels like these events and these these um, spectacles, if if you will, uh, I, I, I think the, like protests and these moments that would otherwise promote a situation where you would have people really coming together and talking to each other and uh, trying to trying to bond are actually sort of setting themselves outside of the experience and experiencing it through the lens, experiencing their, their moment through their cellular phone. Um, and you know, I, this is something that's been happening to me too. I, I work here in Los Angeles, um, as a director of photography and as a camera operator. And this is something that I do professionally, but it does have, and, and perhaps this is, you know, this is something that happens, um, that I've had to do. And and maybe this is very wrong, but I've worked on a lot of commercial projects and I've worked in, um, all over the industry. And I've, I've been on a lot of things that I just don't connect with. And so, you, you basically funnel your experience through the camera. And so what you're actually, um, filming, um, it doesn't actually affect you in the same way that it would if you were in the moment and present. And so that is something that I see on a society wide level. However, in this particular case, I mean, it was really just fascinating to see how much content is being created out of these moments and the signs and, uh, the slogan chanting. And I'm not, I, you know, don't want to take away from the genuine emotions and the feelings of, of the protesters there. Um, because there were real 
real emotions and real feelings. And you could, you could feel from some of these protesters, you could feel a genuine, um, a genuine sense of despair and pain. And, um, but, but the overwhelming majority of people are there really to say that they were there and prove that they were there and have content. At least that's my interpretation. Uh, and, and then there's a lot of people that seem to be angry. There were a lot of angry people. Um, I I wouldn't say that's the majority of people. I would say that was, uh, maybe, you know, there's a handful of, of individuals that are, you know, vocal, outspoken and upset. And, uh, that has become a forum, uh, for, for people to, to vent their frustrations. So these were the first probably 30 minutes of my experience there. I, I took a few pictures and I myself, um, try to allow myself to experience the moment, uh, as I was by myself, you know, I, did make eye contact with a couple of other protesters, but for the most part, um, was just sort of a, a wandering node, if you will. You know, I was just there and, um, it seemed like, you know, you could come and go as you pleased. And there was a lot of standing around and a lot of yelling, a lot of shouting, a lot of a lot of people in cars and there were a lot of, uh, young people that were hanging out of the windows of their cars and honking their horns and yelling. And, and these, I think were the more aggressive, uh, the more aggressive people in the crowd. And these are the ones that are, you know, they're driving by and they're yelling, fuck the cops and, uh, hanging out their window and, throwing two middle fingers and the whole deal. And so, you know, and I think that maybe because they are in the vehicle and they're, they're not necessarily having to face off with these police officers. Um, they were more empowered to, um, act in the way that they did. Uh, anyway, so we get to this moment where, you know, um, a, another person, mass of protesters is coming marching down sunset and they're coming towards this group, this intersection that I'm at and they're split between the national guardsmen. So the two, the two blobs are split and, um, uh, this, this mass of protesters comes towards our mass and, the National Guard gets sandwiched in the middle, and it kind of starts looking like it's going to be uh, potentially tense. And um, the National Guard stand down, and the two the two uh, separate protests become one protest, and everyone cheers. And that was a very energizing and very beautiful, really cool moment to be a part of. And, uh, so that, that was probably the highlight 
for me was just when when these two groups of people and everybody nobody really knows nobody knows anybody there you know we're all strangers and we're all there for a a, a, a stated common purpose and then you know you see national guardsmen guys in army fatigues with assault rifles and they they withdraw you know and they decide not to take a stand and i thought that was pretty cool um you know and, and in that sense it's all happening um but for the most part uh you know and then then the two protests uh merge and it it gets to be about 5:20 and protest organizers are you know yelling for people to go home there's a six o'clock curfew here in Los Angeles. And so, uh, people are starting to disperse. The protest goes off in its separate ways. Um, one splinters off and goes back northbound. The other heads east and, um, kind of fizzles out for the most part. And I, you know, I decide to walk back to, um, Walk back to my car. On the way there, I uh, right in front of me they end a a, a high speed pursuit um, right on Hollywood Boulevard, uh, uh, Hollywood Boulevard and Gower, and uh, there's two black men that were um, you know forced to pull over by police, and the police had these guys get out, put their, you know, lay down on the grounds, put their hands on the back of their heads. And the police came with drawn, drawn firearms, uh, pointing at these guys on the ground. And, um, other protesters were surrounding the scene and yelling at the police to, you know, put their, put their firearms away and, you know, do not abuse these guys. They're, turning themselves in, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, all in all, a pretty interesting experience and glad that I went and did it. Um, however, you know, one of the things I will say is if coronavirus is as actually as bad and as prevalent as some people think it is, um, these protests are likely to be super spreader events. I'm not a scientist and I understand there's pretty much no consensus on the science, uh, as it applies to coronavirus and how it spreads and what's going on. And we just, we all have the same information. So, um, but I, I will say that it is uh, somewhat concerning to see, um, these massive groups of people and there, there are no social distancing norms. Uh, there are people that are wearing masks. Um, but for the most part, uh, it's almost as if people have completely forgotten we are in a pandemic. Um, so that is kind of my play by play, um, of the day that I experienced with, um, with this, um, Black Lives Matter protest. And I'm going to talk about my take, 
um, on my experience. So after being at the protest, I came home and I got on the internet because there was, there was something about the protest that it just as understandably upset as so many people are about police violence and systemic racism and how the, the system is, um, destroying people and destroying their lives and, um, you know, holding uh, minorities down in this country, um, for all of those very valid, very valid arguments, there seemed to just be this sensation of plasticity, inauthenticity. And it's, it's been nagging me. It, it, um, there are, it's really difficult to talk about race in the United States. And because of how high tensions are right now, um, this might not be a popular opinion, but I, I felt like, what was happening there it felt like the result of uh, the intentions of others for this community if that makes sense and I have an article that I want to read and I think that this article captures sort of the essence of of that feeling and it's by uh, John Whitehead, and I found it on counterpunch.org. The title of the article is, This is Not a Revolution. It's a Blueprint for Locking Down the Nation. I'm going to go ahead and start it off. Um, and John starts this article off with a quote from John Lennon. Quote, When it gets down to having to use violence then you are playing the system's game. The establishment will irritate you, pull your beard, flick your face to make you fight. Because once they've got you violent, then they know how to handle you. End quote. And now the article continues. Brace yourselves. This is something being concocted in the dens of power, far beyond the public eye, and it doesn't bode well for the future of this country. Anytime you have an entire nation so mesmerized by political theater and public spectacle that they are oblivious to all else, you'd better beware. Anytime you have a government that operates in the shadows, speaks in a language of force, and rules by fiat, you'd better beware. And anytime you have a government so far removed from its people as to ensure that they are never seen, heard, or heeded by those elected to represent them, you'd better beware. What is unfolding before us is not a revolution. The looting, the burning, the rioting, the violence, this is an anti-revolution. The protesters are playing right into the government's hands because the powers that be want this. They want an excuse to lock down the nation 
and throw the switch to an all-out martial law. They want a reason to make the police state stronger. It's happening faster than we can keep up. The Justice Department is deploying federal prison riot teams to various cities. More than half of the nation's governors are calling on the National Guard to quell civil unrest. Growing numbers of cities, having just barely emerged from a coronavirus lockdown, are once again being locked down, this time in response to the growing upheaval. This is how it begins. It's that dystopian 2030 Pentagon training video all over again, which anticipates the need for the government to institute martial law in order to navigate a world bedeviled by criminal networks, substandard infrastructure, religious and ethnic tensions, impoverishment, slums, open landfills, overburdened sewers, a growing mass of unemployed, and an urban landscape in which the prosperous economic elite must be protected from the impoverishment of the have-nots. We're way ahead of schedule. The architects of the police state have us exactly where they want us, under their stamping boot, gasping for breath, desperate for freedom, grappling for some semblance of a future that does not resemble the totalitarian prison being erected around us. This way lies certain tyranny. For just one fleeting moment, we the people seemed united in our outrage over this latest killing of an unarmed man by a cop hyped up on his own authority and the power of his uniform. That unity didn't last. Indeed, it didn't take long, no surprise there, for us to quickly become divided again, polarized by the misguided fury and senseless violence of mobs taking to the streets, reeking of madness and mayhem. Deliberately or not, the rioters have directed our attention away from the government's crimes and onto their own. This is a distraction. Do not allow yourself to be so distracted. Let's not lose sight of what started all of this in the first place, the United States government. More than terrorism, more than domestic extremism, more than gun violence and organized crime, the systemic violence being perpetrated by agents of the government constitutes a greater menace to the life, liberty, and property of its citizens than any of the so-called dangers from which the government claims to protect us. Case in point, George Floyd died at the hands of the American police state. The callous, cold-blooded murder of the unarmed 46-year-old black man by police is nothing new. For 8 minutes and 46 seconds, police knelt on Floyd's neck while the man pleaded for his life, struggled to breathe, cried out for his dead mother, and finally passed out and died. Floyd is yet another victim of a broken system of policing that has placed we the people at the mercy of militarized cops who have almost absolute discretion to decide who is a threat what constitutes resistance, and how harshly they can deal with the citizens they were appointed to serve and protect. Daily, Americans are being shot, strip-searched, choked, beaten, 
and tasered by police for little more than daring to frown, smile, question, challenge an order, or just exist. I'm talking about the growing numbers of unarmed people who are being shot and killed for just standing a certain way, or moving a certain way, or holding something, anything, that police could misinterpret to be a gun, or igniting some trigger-centric fear in a police officer's mind that has nothing to do with an actual threat to their safety. Killed by police for standing in a shooting stance. Killed for holding a cell phone. Killed for holding a baseball bat. Killed for opening a front door. Killed for being a child in a car pursued by police. Killed for approaching police while holding a metal spoon. Killed for running in an aggressive manner while holding a tree branch. Killed for crawling around naked. Killed for hunching over in a defensive posture. Killed because police officer accidentally fired his gun instead of his taser. Killed for wearing dark pants and a baseball jersey. Killed for reaching for his license and registration during a traffic stop. Killed for driving while deaf. Killed for being homeless. Killed for brandishing a shoehorn. Killed for peeing outdoors. Killed for having his car break down on the road. Killed for holding a garden hose. Now you can make all kinds of excuses to justify these shootings, and in fact, that's exactly what you'll hear from politicians, police unions, law enforcement officials, and individuals who are more than happy to march in lockstep with the police. However, as these incidents make clear, the only truly compliant, submissive, and obedient citizen in a police state is a dead one. Sad, isn't it, how quickly we have gone from a nation of laws where the least among us had just as much right to be treated with dignity and respect as the next person to a nation of law enforcers who treat us all like suspects and criminals? This is not how you keep the peace. This is not justice. This is not even law and order. This is certainly not freedom. This is the illusion of freedom. Unfortunately, we are now being ruled by a government of psychopaths, scoundrels, spies, thugs, thieves, gangsters, ruffians, rapists, extortionists, bounty hunters, battle-ready warriors, and cold-blooded killers who communicate using a language of force and oppression. The facts speak for themselves. We're being ravaged by a government of ruffians, rapists, and killers. It's not just the police shootings of unarmed citizens that are worrisome. It's the SWAT team raids gone wrong that are leaving innocent citizens wounded, children terrorized, and family pets killed. It's the roadside strip searches, in some case, cavity searches of men and women alike carried out in full view of the public in pursuit of drugs that are never found. It's the potentially lethal and unwarranted use of so-called non-lethal weapons, such as tasers on children, for mouthing off to a police officer, for trying to run from the principal's office, for, at the age of 12, getting into a fight with another girl. 
were being held at gunpoint by a government of soldiers, a standing army. While Americans are being made to jump through an increasing number of hoops in order to exercise their Second Amendment right to own a gun, the government is arming its own civilian employees to the hilt with guns, ammunition, and military-style equipment, authorizing them to make arrests and training them in military tactics. Among the agencies being supplied with night vision equipment, body armor, hollow point bullets, shotguns, drones, assault rifles, and LP gas cannons are the Smithsonian, U.S. Mint, Health and Human Services, IRS, FDA, Small Business Administration, Social Security Administration, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, Education Department, Energy Department, Bureau of Engraving and Printing, and an assortment of public universities. There are now reportedly more bureaucratic or non-military government civilians armed with high-tech deadly weapons than the U.S. Marines. That doesn't even begin to touch on the government's arsenal, the transformation of local police into extensions of the military, and the speed with which the nation could be locked down under martial law depending on the circumstances. Clearly, the government is preparing for war, and a civil war at that. And we, the people, are the perceived enemy. We're being taken advantage of by a government of scoundrels, idiots, and cowards. American satirist H.L. Mencken calculated that, quote, Congress consists of one-third, more or less, scoundrels, two-thirds, more or less, idiots, and three-thirds, more or less, poltroons, end quote. By and large, Americans seem to agree. When you've got government representatives who spend a large chunk of their working hours fundraising, being feted by lobbyists, shuffling through a lucrative revolving door between public service and lobbying, and making themselves available to anyone with enough money to secure access to a congressional office, you're in the clutches of a corrupt oligarchy. Mind you, these same elected officials rarely read the legislation they're enacting, nor do they seem capable of enacting much legislation that actually helps rather than hinders the plight of the American citizen. We're being locked up by a government of greedy jailers. We have become a carceral state, spending three times more on our prisons than on our schools, and imprisoning close to a quarter of the world's prisoners, despite the fact that crime is at an all-time low and the U.S. makes up only 5% of the world's population. The rise of overcriminalization and profit-driven private prisons provides even greater incentives for locking up American citizens for such nonviolent crimes as having an, un- having an overgrown lawn. As the Boston Review points out, America's contemporary system of policing, courts, imprisonment, and parole makes money through asset forfeiture, lucrative public contracts from private service providers, 
and by directly extracting revenue and unpaid labor from populations of color and the poor. In states and municipalities throughout the country, the criminal justice system defrays costs by forcing prisoners and their families to pay for punishment. It also allows private service providers to charge outrageous fees for everyday needs, such as telephone calls. As a result, people facing even minor criminal charges can easily find themselves trapped in a perpetuating cycle of debt, criminalization, and incarceration. We're being spied on by a government of peeping toms. The government, aided by its corporate allies, is watching everything you do, reading everything you write, listening to everything you say, and monitoring everything you spend. Omnipresent surveillance is paving the way for government programs that profile citizens, document their behavior, and attempt to predict what they might do in the future. Whether it's what they might buy, what politician they might support, or what kind of crimes they might commit. The impact of this far-reaching surveillance, according to Psychology Today, is reduced trust, increased conformity, and even diminished civic participation. As technology analyst Jillian C. York concludes, quote, mass surveillance without due process whether undertaken by the government of Bahrain, Russia, the U.S., or anywhere in between, threatens to stifle and smother that dissent, leaving in its wake a populace cowed by fear, end quote. We're being forced to surrender our freedoms and those of our children to a government of extortionists, money launderers, and professional pirates. The American people have been repeatedly sold a bill of goods about how the government needs more money, more expansive powers, and more secrecy, i.e. secret courts, secret budgets, secret military campaigns, secret surveillance, in order to keep us safe. Under the guise of fighting its wars on terror, drugs, domestic extremism, pandemics, and civil unrest, the government has spent billions in taxpayer dollars on endless wars that have sown the seeds of blowback, surveillance programs that have subjected all Americans to a surveillance society, and militarized police that have turned communities into war zones. We're being robbed blind by a government of thieves. Americans no longer have any real protection against government agents empowered to seize private property at will. For instance, police agencies under the guise of asset forfeiture asset forfeiture laws are taking property based on little more than a suspicion of criminal activity. And we're being forced to live in a perpetual state of emergency. From 9-11 through the COVID-19 lockdowns, and now the threat of martial law in the face of growing civil unrest, we have witnessed the rise of an emergency state that justifies all manner of government tyranny and power grabs in the so-called name of national security. Whatever else it may be, a danger, a menace, a threat, the U.S. government is clearly not looking out for our best interests. 
nor is it in any way a friend of freedom. When the government views itself as superior to the citizenry, when it no longer operates for the benefit of the people, when the people are no longer able to peacefully reform their government, when government officials cease to act like public servants, when elected officials no longer represent the will of the people, when the government routinely violates the rights of the people and perpetrates more violence against the citizenry than the criminal class, when government spending is unaccountable and unaccounted for, when the Judiciary Act, as courts of order rather than justice, and when the government is no longer bound by the laws of the Constitution, then you no longer have a government of the people by the people and for the people. What we have is a government of wolves. Our backs are against the proverbial wall. The government and its cohorts have conspired to ensure that the only real recourse the American people have to express their displeasure with the government is through voting, which is no real recourse at all. The penalties for civil disobedience whistleblowing and rebellion are severe. If you refuse to pay taxes for government programs you believe to be immoral or illegal, you will go to jail. If you attempt to overthrow the government or any agency thereof because you believe it has overstepped its reach, you will go to jail. If you attempt to blow the whistle on government misconduct, there's a pretty good chance you'll go to jail. For too long, the American people have obeyed the government's dictates, no matter how extreme. We have paid its taxes, penalties, and fines, no matter how outrageous. We have tolerated its indignities, insults, and abuses, no matter how egregious. We have turned a blind eye to its indiscretions and incompetence, no matter how imprudent. We've held our silence in the face of its lawlessness, licentiousness, and corruption, no matter how illicit. We have suffered. How long will we continue to suffer depends on how much we're willing to give up for the sake of freedom. America's founders provided us with very specific explanation about the purpose of government and a roadmap for what to do when the government abuses its authority, ignores our objections, and establishes itself as a tyrant. We must choose between peaceful slavery, or, in other words, maintaining the status quo in servitude to the police state, and dangerous freedom. That will mean carving out a path in which we begin to take ownership of our government starting at the local level, challenging the status quo, and raising hell, non-violently, whenever a government official steps out of line. We can no longer maintain the illusion of freedom. So Whitehead makes a lot of really good points. Um, some of the things that stand out to me, we are <laughs> being taken advantage of by a government of scoundrels, idiots, and cowards. Um, I mean, these are people that 
are basically career politicians. And it's a business. They are running a business. And we are the product. And this falls directly in line with not only the government um, eavesdropping on 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 our communications and developing programs to um, try to predict our behavior, but uh, this also extends out to the communications companies um, and technology companies like Facebook, Google. Um, Apple, etc., Microsoft, who are have created the platform and addicted us all to their products, um, which the government is uh, mutually benefiting from and um, and preying off of the American population, and the thing that scares these people the most is that we all have been indoctrinated with the myth of America and how we had to fight for our freedom and we are insurrectionists and that at some point in time in this country people stood up and demanded that they were going to be treated equally we find out later, of course, that uh, that did not apply to blacks, that did not apply to poor people without property, that did not apply to women, that did not apply to um, a large percentage, actually, of the population at the time. But uh, in theory, it sounded really nice, and we all got taught in schools in the United States growing up, uh, at least in the 80s and 90s, that um, we were special and this country was special because we had this document and we had these ideas and I- ideologies that we, uh, we live by. Um, you know, turns out it was all bullshit anyway, but I mean, we all grew up with the, the myth and, um, to see it be wrestled away, it's not even been wrestled away. It's it's sort of we found ourselves in, in this Huxleyan existence where we're demanding everything we're getting. And there are so many steps ahead of us because they have harnessed the technology and they understand us now better than we understand ourselves. And it's my belief that the thoughts that we have are p- most personal, intimate thoughts down to those out to our, our, our thoughts as they relate to our society and our culture and um, everything in between. They have a root they, they stem from the machinery of manipulation 
And this, this is a, uh, a relationship that's been forged by government and massive multinational corporations, uh, corporations in all sides of the marketplace, but the most successful and monopolistic um, some names stick out more than others, but the, this machinery of manipulation is at work and we don't question it. Nobody questions it. We don't critically think because we've not been taught how to critically think. It is not in the interest of the owners of our society to have a critically thinking population. And the only people that are allowed the freedom to question, to ask real questions and demand answers, are the most wealthy individuals in our society. Because otherwise the consequences are much too great. The consequences for dissent for demanding answers I'm a white man and that makes me uncomfortable and I know it's because of how I was raised and I, I went to public schools I'm sure for some people that's not as big of a deal but the overwhelming majority if if you don't have a problem being forward the chances are you're not thinking very critically and you're not, you're not demanding the answers to the right questions. And there's a good chance that you're spending your life pissing it away, scrolling fucking mindlessly through your cell phone, through your social media feeds. We all have this, this addiction habit and I look at people now, we wear masks, we cram fucking earbuds in our ears. We don't look at each other. We never connect. Our friends are abstractions. They're numbers, they're, they're, they're photos in a feed. We don't hug them anymore. It's been 90 days since we've hugged our friends. It's even, we even are afraid of our nuclear family, of our core members, because young people don't want to kill their parents because we've been so thoroughly indoctrinated and made to live in fear of the coronavirus. Anyone could have it at any time. And the rhetoric coming from the president is so scripted and so easy to see through. The invisible enemy. Come on. You guys can see it. If you think about this, it's all written out for you. 
and unfortunately, the people that I was around today that gathered in a peaceful way to express their extreme discontent and pain and suffering for having lived an entire life in a system that cares not for the well-being or advancement of, of them. A system that at its core is designed to slide you into a level of its pyramid-like hierarchy and keep you there for the benefit of those at the top. It sounds conspiracy theory, and it is, it transcends the left-right conversation. If you are involved in identity politics, if you are involved in the left progressive movements uh, like Black Lives Matter or Antifa or the Bernie Sanders movement, uh, you have to understand that there is big money involved. And these organizations are all co-opted. on both sides. It's driven me near the point of insanity, and I'm at a point in my life where I should be focusing on my work and my business and my family and my child, and I have a very difficult time letting it go because I know how distorted and deluded our society has become. And I guess what I'm looking to do with this is to find people um, out there that are of the same mind as me and want to really understand what's going on. I want to know. I want to know what's going on. And I try to distill it all down through all of these things, all of this information that we have access to. And I start to think how much longer are we going to have access to not only information, but to basic freedoms. When this started, it started on my birthday, March 12. They shut us down. My, my, my place of work shut us down. March 13th, officially. March 12th, I spent my birthday working. And while I was at work, and when I met my, my own, my old job, uh... <laughs> I'm one of 12 people who is in a studio and 
at any given time, you will look up around the room and there will be 10 out of 12 people that are on their cell phone, either working or Instagramming or whatever it is that they're doing, but they are completely transfixed. People hardly come up for air. Our necks and our backs and our shoulders hurt because we are pouring our entire existence into these devices. All of our thinking is thinking in terms of, of how can we accumulate and acquire capital? Or how am I going to spend said accumulated capital? In what way can I spend this capital to make myself and my existence unique? How can I further atomize my existence and isolate myself? How do I show the world what I'm doing? How do I let everyone know how important I am? How beautiful I am? Because, because now I need that. I need you to look at me and I need you to validate me. Instagram is McCarthyism 2.0. Facebook. And now TikTok. These things are designed to create an ambiance of conformity. And some may say, well, you know, it's a platform and you can do what you want. But if you really ever bring up anything of actual importance that that has been arrived at through a process of research and critical thinking and you bring up subjects or topics that relate to structural issues structural issues of how things are formed in our government how our government operates, how businesses and multinational corporations actually operate, you start to find that we are accepting spoonfuls of sorcery or bullshit, if you want to call it that. One of the things that I've learned about the coronavirus pandemic crisis in the United States is that when when oligarchs when uh, the business interests of our company of our country Freudian slip when the business interests of our country need money they lean into the United States government and the government prints it for them. And it's all done in the service of keeping the economy afloat and the markets healthy. 
you watch our country burning to the ground, yet the S&P is over 3,000. We're in the green. Or the black. Pardon my pun. It's a bipolar, schizophrenic existence. And if you even so much as question the root causes, or if you have any real meaningful dialogue, you attract attention, and it's the wrong kind of attention. And you are pushed out to the fringes, and you are demonized. You're shut down, deplatformed. You know, what is it about the coronavirus and wearing these masks? What is the metaphor? Because the masks, do they help? The police aren't wearing them. The National Guard's not wearing masks. But we are. I think psychologically, the mask stands for something of a deeper meaning and there is a there is a reason for it there's a psychological reason for why we are told to wear the mask because it further castrates our voices and our voices mind you the same voices that have been co-opted by years and years of manipulation years and years of systemic manipulation to get you to arrive at the place that you're at and if you find yourself on either side of the spectrum if you think that you're going to vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump and that either one of those people are going to fix America, that are going to help create the country that you deserve, then you, son, are deluded. You are a victim. But perhaps we're all victims. The more I look into this stuff, the more crazy I feel and the more isolated I've become from everybody, from my family, from friends. Nobody wants to think about this stuff. Nobody wants to talk about it. I'm a, I'm a Debbie Downer. I literally can't help myself and I bring everybody down. And maybe that's me. You know... Maybe that's me. Maybe I'm not positive enough. But I can't do this anymore. I, I've got to do something. I've got to find people that are thinking the same way as me. And we really need to be careful and critical. Think very critically about the direction we are taking as a, as a society because it feels to me like 
we are moving more in the direction of widespread civil unrest that leads to a civil war 2.0. And it's a lot of young people and it'll be young versus old. It'll be rich versus poor and it'll be widely black versus right. Black versus white. And brown versus white. We are divided. And people at these protests are saying that we need to be united. But we are not united in the right sense. And we're not united under the right idea or intention. And the thought that things will go back to normal and that we will go back to normal and everything will be just fine is wishful thinking on the level of masturbation. Because we're not going back. We're not going back to how things used to be. We are in the final stages of a massive cycle. And there are many cycles that are oddly coming to to their inevitable ends. We found ourselves in a public health crisis, a political crisis, a socioeconomic crisis, and soon to be and already have been in, but uh, just more recently forgotten, a climate crisis, an environmental crisis. These are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and Unfortunately, they are riding on us all. I was talking on the phone with my mom yesterday, and I bring these things up, and she gets really upset at me. And she's like, well, what What can we do? What can we do about it? What can we do? Frustrated. The first thing that we can do is educate ourselves and come to a place of consensus. And the second thing we can do is to know each other. We need to become neighbors. We need to truly know one another and allow ourselves to be known and be seen and allow ourselves to be ourselves. Without needing the affirmations of others. We need to know that we are worth it. That we are valuable. And that we have a place. And perhaps... The abstract 
the idea that you can have 330 million people all come together, that we can all identify a common ground within each and every one of us and relate to each other based on that common ground. It may be too ambitious. It may be too ambitious for our species at this point in time. And perhaps that is one of the agendas is that we will be made if we don't do it on our own and if we don't do it in a way that is free. Unfortunately, freedom comes with a an enormous price tag. And to understand the true power and value of freedom, you have to be educated, and we just are not educated people. We are widely ignorant and purposefully misled. And I am one of those people. I stand before you and admit I am one of those people and have been for most of my life. I wish that I had known to apply myself to learn mathematics, to really, really embrace the opportunities I had because I had an opportunity to get an education and I got an education, but I, I did not take advantage of that opportunity. And I'm now in my mid thirties and trying to figure out what matters and what's important in my life. And I've spent too long, too many years and too much time working on the dreams of other people, helping other people build themselves up. for money and I gotta tell you I'm over it I hope that some of this was valuable and that it wasn't too rambling and too strange this is my first recording uh, ever and my first time speaking to myself and um, I would like feedback, uh, from anybody who, who catches this podcast. And if this is interesting, uh, to you, if there are any criticisms, constructive or otherwise, uh, please feel free to let me know. I am just a normal person, uh, very average person, just like you, uh, with access to the same information that you do. Um, so anything, anything you guys would like to hear, if there's anything at all that I can do better, please let me know. Um, and I'm going to try to keep doing this because this, uh, for me is a therapy and I hope, uh, 
for you guys, it could be something that helps us stimulate that conversation and helps us all connect on the level of trying to get to know each other and trying to really connect and compare experiences so we can understand where we're at. I think that having this conversation is the most important thing that we can do right now. I think that is the only thing we can do is see each other, talk to each other and truly communicate. And let's not get tricked into playing into the hands of the people that want to control us because they are controlling us. And it's actually a lot worse than we think. I don't want to be too depressing. I probably have already been really depressing. So I just want to say thank you. And I look forward to doing another one of these soon. And if anyone out there is listening, I'll leave my information down here below in whatever description. Uh, I will link the article and um, let's... Let's do it again. Thank you, guys. This has been a brave new normal. I'm your host, Alex Cole, Alexander Cole, and I look forward to seeing you guys on the flip side. Thanks.